Welcome to the Book Last podcast. Today I'm with Larissa Chakra Bongs, the founder and CEO of River Books, which publishes a wide range of books on Southeast Asian art and culture. And she is the editor of the Oxford River Books English Thai Dictionary. Chakra Bongs Villas, the family home, is a small boutique hotel in Bangkok. Give you Larissa, which was your first language, Thai or English? Um, English just, I think, but Thai came very quickly after mm-hmm. because uh, we went out to Thailand when I was 18 months. And so I grew up really speaking both. So your parents were both Thai, Thai English. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I mean, tell us a bit about your yes. childhood and where you grew up and what it was like between both cultures. Um, my father was half Thai and half Russian. And my mother was Scottish and uh, English. And we grew up in, I grew up in Cornwall which was a total contrast to Bangkok. And uh, Bangkok, we had this house on the border of, of, of the river. I keep, I'm saying au bord de la, on the edge of the river, Japia, um, in old Bangkok. And so there was a huge contrast between the two. And in those days, it took, uh, we always went by boat because my father didn't like to go to fly. And so that took about three or four weeks. Wow. So, so it was a lot of travelling and... Um, the only sad thing, of course, is that my father died when I was seven. And he was quite old-fashioned in his ways, and so I didn't see him very much. Um, and we didn't really talk to each other properly, not like parents today. Whereas my mother was... And while he was alive, my mother was very much with him. And then she died when I was 15. So I didn't have a huge uh, family life, really. We lived in this big house in Cornwall, in the middle of nowhere on the top of a hill, looking over down to the river. It was beautiful, but it was quite isolated. And so I had quite a isolated childhood in Cornwall and then a more uh, integrated sort of childhood in Bangkok. But obviously I always felt also quite um, the odd one out in a way because I spoke very good Thai, but I don't look very Thai at all. I look quite Western, very Western. So you did, I mean, you had no cousins or aunties? I mean, was there any extended um, family? Because that's very rough. My English family didn't really like my father, I don't think. Oh. And, um, you know, because they got married in the late 1930s. Yeah. And um, I think they disapproved of him. You know, he was a Thai prince, but also half Russian. And so I think there was some quite a lot of racism. And cousins, I did have some English cousins who I got to know, but, but after my mother died, I went to live with an aunt and we didn't really get on, and so I stopped seeing my English family, essentially. And that's actually when I discovered all my Thai cousins, because I'm part of a huge extended family in Thailand, and so I have about 180 cousins. So recently, at the, the, uh, um, you know, the coronation of the new king, I, I went to that... One time we were all in a room, 180 cousins, all waiting for him to turn up. How did the Thai-Russian mix happen with your father? I mean, yes, yeah, so my father, that um, it, that's quite, it is quite interesting. In fact, I wrote a book about it. Um, it with a title? With a title, Katya and the Prince of Siam. Because my grandfather on my father's side was one of the sons of King Chulalongkorn, and he had a policy of sending his favourite sons or his most important sons to Europe to study so that they would come back with Western ideas, help modernise the country. Most of them went to Britain, some went to Germany, a few to to, uh, Denmark, but only one went to Russia initially, and that was my um, grandfather. 
and Tsar Nicholas II on his Far Eastern tour had met King Chulalongkorn and later on they became friends and he said, you must send one of your children to me. So he ended up at the imperial court. Yes, and he was, and, and unlike some of the others who came to study abroad, he was paid for completely by Nicholas II. So he had an apartment in the Winter Palace, and he went to the Corps de Page, and then he went into the Hussars. And I mean, luckily he was quite bright, so he studied very hard, and in the end he came top of his class. And at the Corps de Page you also had to wait on the imperial family if you were in the top five. Mm. So he was the page to... Um, Empress Alexandra and so while he was there he wrote a lot of um, letters home and actually I also translated those into English and that was published last year and that was called Letters from St Petersburg um, so that was a very interesting side of his life unfortunately he died quite young um, when he was only 37 but while he was there at the end of his stay he met my grandmother who was also an or he was she was an orphan she'd come to study nursing in St Petersburg she was only 16 and she wanted to go and nurse in the Russo-Japanese War, which in fact she did. And then when she came back to St. Petersburg, they eloped and got married in Constantinople, as it was then. And eloped? Yes. Romantic. So yes. you mean it was that was already, I suppose, mixed in the day, people really, in a lot He'd, of societies actually. Were not, totally like, taboo. Were and also, taboo wherever you were, whatever and if you were a member of the royal family in yeah. those days, they were very, you know, you couldn't marry out, really. Yeah. And um, very rigid. Very rigid. Yeah. So he took her to Singapore and hid her there for a few months. He hid her? Yes, he just kept her there, went back to <laughs> Bangkok, pretending nothing had happened. And then one day his father said, I hear you have, there's a Madame de Pisnulok living in Singapore. Presumably that's a joke. And he said, no, it's true. And that was a terrible scandal. Oh. Yeah. But in the end... In the end, accepted it. by the Queen. When, when my grandmother got pregnant had a baby, the queen mother, the queen, was obviously very keen to see her, her first wow. grandchild. And so she, she and my grandmother became friends. And the king actually never met my grandmother because he died in 1910. But in the next reign, she was more accepted. Right. And, then, um, and then it all ends terribly sadly. My grandfather and my grandmother divorced. After the revolution, she said, I'm so depressed, I need a holiday. So she went away for six months leaving him in Thailand. And at that, during that period, he, um, he got together with one of his nieces, actually. It's all oh, quite scandalous, but oh, in those, it was no, sort of accepted. And when my grandmother nieces. came back, he wanted to keep them both. Mm -hmm. And she said no, and she left and divorced him. And then shortly afterwards, he died of Spanish flu, or maybe just overwork, yeah. or maybe he was poisoned. We could never find I, out. Oh. And then my father, who's and twelve, she went back to. What, she went to went to live in uh, Shanghai. Oh, she went to live in Shanghai. Because her brother, who'd who'd um, worked, he was in the railways, and he'd been helping with um, white Russian refugees. Right. Oh, yes. So she worked there, and then she met um, someone who worked for General Electric, an American, and got married to him. Which was an, and then apparently, I mean, I never really knew him, but apparently, no one liked him. In you know his his um, stepson. And my mother didn't really like him. You know, my father didn't like him. So your father, was, <coughs> so he was the first... I mean, he, he, so he was the son who initially the Queen accepted, was pleased to see him. Yes, her. yes. So, and then if you've got all the cousins, then... I mean, you, He was you always discriminated again. I think no he brothers and brothers, sisters. So just him. Yeah. But then his uncle, two of his uncles became king after his father died. Right. But because he was mixed race... 
Um, there was a succession law which said that anyone who was mixed race couldn't ascend the throne. Because originally the, the sort of line of succession was meant to go through my great-grandmother. So there was King Rama the Sixth, King Rama the Seventh, but then it passed to another of Queen um, King Chulalongkorn's wives, mm. who's the you know great grandmother of the um, previous king and the great great grandmother, maybe the great grandmother of the current king. Wow. So they're <coughs> growing up between two cultures, two languages, yeah. sort of being mixed. So that is how did you growing up with that? You know, how does one how does one integrate that? I think it did bother me quite a lot, really. Mm. I didn't like him. Because school, I mean, what happened with school? Um, in Cornwall, it was fine. Cool. In Cornwall, I just pretended to be a local kid, yeah. you know. Yeah. In Thailand, after my father died, he insisted I went to school in Thailand as well. So I did this thing where I did one term in Thailand, two terms oh, in England. that's very confusing. And probably illegal nowadays, you know. Yeah. Well, yes. laws about taking yes. children out of school. Yes. Yeah. Well, stability does, yes. it, is, it is important. So in the Thai school, I, w I was uh, racially discriminated against, you know. Mm. They'd say white dog or white this or white that, you know. Mm. Yeah. And also I couldn't, you know, I was trying to catch up too. Imagine doing one term in the school year. Tricky. Yeah, so then you get one gets a complex. Well, obviously, <laughs> certainly it's given you somewhere in the end yes. strength. Perhaps yes. in the end how one turns that. Well, so I mean, you know, I speak you know, perfect yeah, Thai and read and write it, you yeah. know, which has been, as my career has turned out, it's yeah. been very lucky. As a writer, yeah. editor, publisher. Yeah. So, uh, now, your parents, so goodness, what, what kind of books? You, was there an interesting mix of books? Did you read a lot? Did they read a lot? My father was a writer, and so he read a lot, and we had a big library. What so kind I, of writing? He wrote history books. History. And also, auto, he wrote his autobiography, and both in Thai. It's called, um, in English, it's out of print, and I'm thinking of combining the English one with the Thai one. The Thai one's more uh, more fun, in a way. It's more intimate, I think. The English one, I think he, you know, must have suffered from discrimination, so he tried to present a front of being rightfully English and rightfully, you know. Oh, yes, And to try and sort of compensate. And so um, the English one was called The Twain Have Met, from that quote, you know, yes, and uh, brought up in England because he felt he loved England. I mean, he loved it. He loved Britain, I should say, I suppose. And then the Thai one's called God, one Farud, and then he yeah. also wrote Lords. Born in Puruskawan Palace. Born in Puruskawan Palace, which is where he was born. And then he wrote a, a history of the kings of the Jakri dynasty called Lords of Life, and he wrote it both in English and in Thai. And I'm just, I've just been re-editing the English version because it's 60 years since it was published. So that's one of the things I've been working on at the moment. Look forward to that from River Books, perhaps Yes, Lords year. of Life. Well, actually, this year well, it's coming year. out. And oh, I put in a lot of photos yeah. here in the autumn. Right. It's almost so ready. I'm doing the index. He, he, you know, we didn't talk about books at all, and he didn't read to me, really. Yeah. I mean, so I met, read English classics, you know, Winnie the Pooh, Wind in the Willows... Mm. The Just So stories, yeah, yeah. Um, then Hornblower series, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was quite tomboyish, I suppose, yeah. because growing up in Cornwall, you know, we were in the country, I'd run around in the garden and Lovely. had a very healthy sort of, you know, fresh air, homegrown. Very fresh air English, yes. Yeah. Thai literature, let's quote unquote classic Thai literature, is famous mm -hmm. for its rich variety of poetical forms. I mean, when when did Western style prose fiction first make an appearance? Novels and, and things like novels, that. Yes. yes, that sort of. And what Western writers were influential? 
more and more Thais came to study abroad. Right. And so the novel, as we understand it, you know, Western... Was um, yes, was imported. And also they learnt uh, methods of writing and ways to write and ways of looking at the world mm-hmm. and then went back and wrote, you know, I think the people, many of the people who wrote novels had been educated mm-hmm. abroad. So, for example, Kukrit Brahmod, which is probably the yeah, first, Kukrit, Kukrit Brahmod, who wrote um, Four Reigns, see, Pandin, and that was one of the first books. It was actually the book that taught me to read Thai properly, you know, because I suddenly realised how the tone markers worked and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's a story, you know, a family followed through four reigns. Mm. So it takes place at the end of the beginning of the 20th century and goes right through to the mid-20th century. So, I mean, he, it's very classically structured in a, in a Western way. You know, any Westerner would understand it. Yeah. When you were growing up, did you see your mother be what kind of things did she read or not? Or? She read a lot, but I don't really you know, know again because, yeah, you know, things. she died when I was 15. So, I mean, she wasn't... I mean, she made me read Anne of... Little Women, Anne of oh, Green gosh, Gables, yes. you know, all those sort of things. And it's true, those days, I know, back in the day, I mean, there were distances between the were, weren't and children. They? Everyone was kind of in their own bubble, almost. I mean, she loved yeah. Edward Lear, you know, and she loved yes. um, poetry, ah, yeah. which was nice. So, so, mm-hmm. so those, she would read poems to me and make me learn a few poems. Um, but then I think, you know, when you're an only child, you read a lot anyway. Yes. Absolutely. You know, you're friends. Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes, and yeah. then if you suffer bereavement in childhood too, mm-hmm. I think books are a very safe place to go to. Absolutely. And that's yes. why I think they're fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. e- you know, even now with everyone being so obsessed with their phones or whatever, I think a book takes you out of your bad situation mm-hmm. and either into a great situation, someone else's wonderful life, or even if they're having a bad life, you then feel better because you think, well, actually, I'm not alone. Yeah. And I think about a sad book is also very comforting, strangely. Yeah. The Russian novels, obviously. Oh, yeah, I mean, Russian. Russian. Yes, yes, I loved all that. Of course, Dostoevsky. Yes, Dostoevsky. And, and I mean, you know, and I mean, knowing oh. that I was called to Russian, I sort of thought that I had this sort of tragic Russian soul. You know? oh. And so I identified, you know, but I think you asked me that later, but I identified mm. a lot with uh, oh, Anna Karenina, you know. Contemporary yes. Thai literature would. In your view, would it begin after the popularised uprising of the 14th of October, 73? It was an absolute monarchy until 1932. Yeah. And um, then in 1932, there was a revolution organised by people who largely started in Paris, actually, where they learned a lot of revolutionary ideas. And then in the late 30s, there was a kind of fascist regime, and then there was the Second World War, during which we um, let the Japanese come in and join the you know, the Allied, not the Allied side, the wrong side in the Second World War. After that, you know, I think the emphasis was very much on redevelopment, Americanization, and then there were a lot of coups. So in terms of democracy, even 1973, you know, it so was short-lived. Was that? I mean, that was a big... Yes, that was, was a... that a was a, It was a huge, yes, it was so a huge did, student yeah. uprising against one of the dictators, you know, and, mm. and there have been, I think, 18 or 19 coups now in the past... Uh, 80 years. So, I mean, democracy hasn't really um, ever taken hold very well. And now, obviously, we're in a, a still in under, really under a military regime. We've had a recent um, election, but the, the election was rigged, essentially. Yeah. I think, in a way, it has encouraged um, more people to write Thai authors. And, mm-hmm. for example, um, 
you know, Brap Dayun um, has, has written up during that time and other writers before him and then also the book that, you know, I publish in English, uh, The Blind Earthworm. Yes, which we're, we're reviewing. She was inspired by the recent uh, crackdown, military crackdown, and even though the book isn't, doesn't seem overtly political, um, underneath it there's a sort of strain of um, subversion, I would say. Well, the title, The Blind <coughs> Earthworm yes. in the Labyrinth, is quite... Yes. I rather wonder what that is about. Yes, I mean, superficially it seems to be about the... Uh, protagonist, the two sisters and their part-sometime lover and their lives, but perhaps underneath it's about the fact that no one really knows the way out, which I think is true now, because has the recent election brought closure? Are we in a new chapter of moving forward? No, we're not. No. Because the military rigged it in such a way that they still managed to choose a prime minister. The military dictator that was is now prime minister. Mm. Um, so nothing's changed in a way. I mean, but are they, is it censorship or yes. something's allowed? Or? <laughs> yes, I mean, um, when he first came in, one of, the sen- one of the things that people did was they would go, to, we weren't allowed to have assembly of more than 10 people. Oh. So quite a lot of people would have picnics in the park. And <laughs> the book they would read at their picnic in the park was George Orwell's 1984. And so that became a symbol of sort of protest. And they also did the kind of three-finger salute, which I believe, I don't know about it, but I believe it comes from Game of Thrones or something like that. And then funnily enough, so then George Orwell, you know, 1984 was banned. You weren't allowed to post a picture of it. But then, bizarrely, recently, the dictator himself came out and said he recommended that everyone read Animal Farm, which was so funny. And then lots of people started commenting and saying, yes, that's very appropriate because we're ruled by dogs and pigs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and ah, he, I don't I think know. he'd read it, yeah. actually. So that was quite amusing. Well, but also there's all that wonderful description of when they, they move into the house and have yeah. sheets. Yes. You know, yeah, one of the things that he said when he was coming into power was that he was going to clean up, you know, corruption. And, of course, well, you know. Classic. Yes, classic. classic. Why classic. do they always say that? Oh, Why not just say, I'm coming in because I want power? I'm lining my pockets. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Power, exactly. Yeah. Oh, would you say there is greater recognition and curiosity nowadays about writing from a non-English speaking world that is 5,847 miles away from the UK? I mean, how... What do you mean in the world in general, well, or do you mean... Well, in, about Thailand, there yes. is a greater yes. curiosity I would now, say so, yes, definitely. you've been publishing... Yes, things have changed hugely. Yeah, so it's improved, and the internet, I mean, how, what would yes. you say the engines I would say, have changed? Or I would say that um, when I started, um, everyone said I was mad being a publisher in Thailand, no one would buy the books and that sort of thing. But actually, and they said oh, Thai people read 11 lines a year or something, but that's not true. I mean, they think now that Thai people read 45 minutes a day. I mean, admittedly, <laughs> quite a lot online, but I mean, that. Oh, I don't think we should keep bashing the online thing. Yeah. I think people should read and then it may lead to paper books or not or whatever. Um, it's like saying you shouldn't use a pen, you should use a pencil. It's sort of, you know, I think that's a bit silly in a way. There are many more publishers and publishers who are successful mm-hmm. and the Bangkok Book Fair is very well attended it's twice a year. So you started River Books when? I mean, I mean I'm a vision a... behind it. Let's hear about how <laughs> I don't think happened. I really had a vision. Yeah. I had started publishing in England with my ex-husband mm-hmm. and he he'd published a few books on collectible items. And then his secretary walked out. I was doing my PhD, and he said, oh, you better come and work with me. What your PhD? In? My PhD was going to be at Chamayath, who was an um, architect in you know, the 1930s. Mm-hmm. 
um, because I'd studied art history at the Courtauld Institute, so that sort of flowed on from that. I gave it up after that and did publishing instead. And then I found I really enjoyed it because I think if you're someone who's sort of always been uprooted between this place and that place, if you're a publisher, you always have new projects, you don't get bored, and there's always something stimulating, you know, so it's, it's great. I mean, maybe it's good for people of ADHD or something. I don't think I do at all. I mean, I have very good concentration, but it just really worked for me. So having done this sort of publishing about subjects of really weird subjects in England, when we got divorced and I went back to live in Thailand for a while, I thought, well, actually, I'd much rather be publishing. I studied art history. Why not do things about Thai art and culture? And I looked around. Books for um, English speakers were very few at that yeah. time, you know, they were either very superficial or they were kind of bodice rippers about pat pong girls or things like that. Well, pat prostitution, pong oh, yeah. sort of pat that. Pong. Yeah, pat, sort of, pat. you know, yeah. sort of salacious, um, yeah. you know, badly erotica, written. Badly yes, written yes, erotica. badly written erotica. And so I thought yeah. it'd be nice to show the other side of the country, you know, because people oh, yeah. who visit, I mean, half the world are women, we're not so interested in erotica really. Yeah. There's a long history. So it was a sort of wanting to show other facets of the country. And you say you publish in both Thai and English, yes. sort of dual editions? Quite so often, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not always. I mean, the ones that I think are appropriate. I mean, if yeah. it's about Thai porcelain or something, I'll do a Thai edition as well. And um, guidebooks, um, I'm starting to do some in Thai. Mm -hmm. um, I do quite a lot of guidebooks. So then I started in Thailand, and then I moved to, you know, I also publish about Burma, Laos, Cambodia, mm -hmm. done a lot of books about Khmer, ancient Khmer, architecture, you know, the Khmer Empire period, mm -hmm. and a few books about Vietnam. Vietnam's very difficult because they have huge censorship there. You can't get really? the books in, yes. Mm -hmm. And also they, the pirating is much more of a problem there than in Thailand. I mean, I haven't seen any pirated copies of my books in Thailand. Oh, yeah. uh, whereas in Burma... Why in Vietnam? And... I don't know why, actually. Oh. I published a book on um, ancient Angkor, and I probably lost literally a million dollars in priority copies because it's so popular, it's everywhere and um, there's nothing I can do about it. Beautifully printed too as well, I mean that's the upsetting thing. In Burma they're appallingly printed but in, in Cambodia fantastic edition. We're very small first when we're quite niche you know so one of the mainstays has been my father's book, this autobiography he wrote because it's just... Title again? It's in Thai and uh, and my father's book, Gert Wan Barok, sells 2,000 copies every year. So that is one of the things that keeps the company going. And so we have a strand of royal history, which does quite well. Recently, for the coronation, I did a book in Thai, which was a translation of Quaritch, Wales' classic book, on royal Siamese royal ceremonies, and then put in lots of pictures. And that sold really well. And then I do the travel books, the sort of, you know, the guidebooks, but I, they're more standalone guidebooks. Yeah. Um, Thames and Hudson, when I was distributed by them, they had to say, Narissa, don't say guidebooks, say standalone books. Because, you know, they are, they're, they can special be, their, yeah, yeah, special, and they go into the history. Yeah. So they're not superficial. Like yeah. yeah. good, but it's a different, yeah, Yes, it's, it's a different like thing, yeah. highly illustrated. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is I print all the books in Thailand, too, because I like they're to... Good production. Values, good production. Yeah. And then I've developed a strand of popular culture. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a book called Very Thai by Philip Cornwall-Smith, 
and that's been printed. Um, well, there's been a second edition, first edition probably three printings, second edition probably three printings. So what is it? You say popular culture very tight. It's it's a it's that. a quirky book. It's a, you know why do ties use tiny pink napkins? Is one of the examples. <laughs> and he goes and researches it. And it shows the dye that they use to make it and everything else. So why do they use tiny um, Because it doesn't, it's, and they're tiny. I mean, it doesn't show the dirt or something, but you don't use them again. So, I mean, it's very weird. Yeah. I, they think that people think they look cleaner in pink. And then alphabet tables and all kinds of little quirky things, you know. Katya and the Prince of Siam, which you authored with your aunt, Eileen Hunter. How did that come about? Tell us a bit about it. It just is such a wonderful story. You know, and I thought that in my father's book it's not dealt with well enough. And I found a lot of letters that she had written to her brother in Russian. I got them translated. In fact, by someone who I've now had confirmation was head of station of the KGB in Southeast Asia. He used to come to my house and uh, do tiny little writing. He was a very weird guy. But he did translate them into English. For me, <laughs> I know. I know. Well, that's quite a. It's so bizarre. Cool, yes. In a slightly <laughs> way. Yes. Very strange. Yes. Well, where is he now? I mean, is he's he... dead, unfortunately. Oh, he's dead, yes. Oh, it was a while back. Uh, you know, Eileen had written some books before, mm. so so it seemed a good idea to collaborate with her. Well, I do remember Eileen. Yes. When I was younger, because she was a good friend of my godmother, Leslie Blanche, and she was. She was a wonderfully Eileen stylish, was wasn't woman. she? Yes. And um, when I used to go to school in Surrey, Priorsfield, um, my mother would come up and stay with Eileen, and then I would come out for lunch, and she was a fantastic cook. Mm. And I loved her house, actually, because my mother wasn't very interested in interior design, but Eileen's house was so... I thought it was incredibly chic. She had wonderful things. She mixed all these things. So, mm. so it seemed a good idea. And, you know, the book was well-received, and, you know, it did very well. And since then, it's been... Um, translated into Thai mm-hmm. and sells, sells, also sells very well in Thailand so I sell probably like 800 copies every year which you know that's what a publisher a Has small publisher wants. Has it been translated into other languages? Because it's, it's, it's a rather extraordinary sort of love story. It should, it should, should be, be translated. It should be. No, no I'm surprised really. I mean but you see this is the trouble when you're a small. Yeah, yes you know you can't do everything yeah. and I can't yeah, really yeah. go and sell rights. I need someone to go and sell mm-hmm the mm. French rights or the Italian yeah. rights or something. Quite a few people have wanted to make a film about it too. Mm. So what? So you've mentioned one of your books. Tell us about some of the books that you're working on at the moment that will come out in the next six months. Um, so I'm working on, well, this one I showed you, the Thai movie theatres yes. is literally hot off so the press. So that is movie theatres, Relic Ruins and the Romance of Escape by Philip Jablon. Yes. Fabulous. And, um, book, yes, yeah. and that's in the sort of popular culture yeah. stream. And then also the, another one that's just come out is The Rabbit Cloud, which yeah. is by Guy's first children's young, thing. What yes. age? Yeah. I would say about about 8 to 12, 8 probably. 12. Yes, and that's a lovely story about a boy who goes in search of water for his village mm. because there's a shortage of water. And then the ones that I'm working on, I'm doing a, a, in the sort of popular culture strand, I'm doing a book called... Thai comics art. You have to say Thai comics art. And again, a lot of these books are written by quite intense people. So Philip Gevlon, extremely intense. This is by a Belgian guy called Nicolas, who's actually a professor at Chulonkorn University. Um, but it's going to be fantastic, because Thai comics are actually world-renowned in the comics world as being very good. And they've been political comics and funny ones and historical ones. So they're a genre 
that isn't really recognised. And I think it's going to be very good. And there's a comics festival in Angoulême. I'm excited. I'm going to go to that. Not next year, the year after. Excellent. Also, in the sort of art history strand, there's a book which is going to be very beautiful called The Life of the Buddha in Burmese Murals. Going to be fantastic. And also a follow-up novel to The Blind Earthworm mm. by Vera Pa Nitit Rapa. And the title, we're sort of wrestling with the title at the moment, it's called something like Recollecting the Memories of the Black Rose Cat. And it's Black about... Rose Cat? Yes. Oh, and it's a cat who's called Black Rose. And um, it's the sort of story, again, a sort of... It's an epic, more epic sweep of a, a Chinese family who've emigrated to Thailand from um, southern China and how they set up their business and how, you know, the life of the family. So that, I think, should be very good. And also some Thai language books, quite a lot of those, and a, a guidebook for the area in which the hotel is situated, which is Old Bangkok, so it's called Exploring Old Bangkok. Mm. So it covers 30 yeah. sites and, and beautiful pictures and everything else. And then another popular culture one on the Hopewell Project, which is this very strange project where they had these huge stanchions, I suppose you call them, for a... For a elevated railway that was never built and while it they stood there neglected um artists came and painted on them graphic art you know uh, graffiti artists but also non-graffiti artists just came and painted there for a specific period they became quite well known and then afterwards they were painted over so it's a sort of subversive phenomenon that's been covered up which i quite like you know i don't think it's not highly commercial but i mean it can be cult <coughs> yes. potential cult so that's the thing, really. When you're a small publisher, trying to do some books that you think are going to be commercial. Mm. Also finding out-of-print English books that then I can get translated into Thai. So right. a lot of um, British sort of uh, authors who were in maybe the Shan States in the 19th century or British people who came to Thailand in the mm -hmm. 19th century, they sell quite well. I mean, I'm talking not very many, 2,000 copies or something. But, you know, they're cheap to do and you get through them quickly. That's what you have to do. What about Thai writers and what, what strengths they draw from the riches of their cultural background and national identity? And how many <coughs> books, you know, but how many books available in West translated from Thai and regional dialects? I quite mean, a lot. Quite I mean, a lot done. Quite a lot. I mean, some statistics suggest that um, indigenous books uh, account for 60%, really? but 40% are, are books in translation, mm -hmm. so quite high. Mm -hmm. And I would say that of those, a lot of them are um, how-to books or, yeah. you know, yeah. guides to healthy living yeah, or and finance, how to make yeah, a million that, yeah. pounds, that sort of thing. What genres are popular? You were just saying what <coughs> genres are popular in Thailand, uh, whether it's Thai authors or imports mm. of translations. You mentioned how to fiction. I mean, Buddhism, sci-fi, sci-fi, I mean, sci and also usual, romance. Yeah, usual the stuff. usual ones. Yes, because yeah, yeah. before before publishing really developed, I would say publishing's really got much mm. more developed in the last forty years. In the last 40 a, years. Yes, a lot of the, a lot of romance was published in weekly magazines. Ah, uh, okay, serialized. Yes, yeah, serialized. Yes, okay. we sort of idealised drawings of beautiful women and okay. looking miserable. <laughs> Wanting to be rescued by the prince. <laughs> yes, yes. Because so in that case, when did the Bangkok International Book Fair start? I know it's very popular. This century, this century. I would say, yes. Oh, right, okay. And it is very popular because it's not a book fair like 
we might understand Frankfurt or the London Book Fair, where it's mm. only professionals. I mean, only publishers. So the, pub the public come. The in. public come oh, in and buy. You like see. Paris so Book Fair. Exactly, there, exactly. Nice. Yes, and people nice. love that. Yeah. And so I think it's very, very good. It sort of really promotes reading, and people know that it's coming up. And so, you know, they know they're going to get a bit of a bargain, publisher's discount, and then there are talks associated with it. And I started a, um, not really a, a literature festival, but an ideas festival about four years ago. I'm going to do the third one in, in January, in mm -hmm. February, actually, first and second. And then last year there was a lit fest, which was more for indie Thai publishers. How, yes, how many there were about th 30 stalls. And little little talks and things, also some mainstream ones. Mm -hmm. So there, one of the key books that they tr just translated was Orhan Pamuk, My Name is Red, which I thought was very interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. And so they were, it's all, all about uh, literature in Thai and lots of handmade books. I think it was really good fun. It was very popular, but it was sort of owned by a printer who did it, and I'm not sure they're going to do it again. I'm mm -hmm. in dialogue with them to try and combine, because I thought that mm -hmm. my festival, which would have foreign writers and maybe non-fiction combined with this fiction festival would be, be great. great. Yeah, and very good to combine forces. Yes, yes. So like here you have the big conglomerates and then the sort of mid-range yes. indies and then the smaller. I mean, how are the big conglomerates or are there a lot of independents? There are lots range? of independents. There are quite a lot, a lot of, of independents. Any conglomerates or no? It's yes, like some. I mean, like some, for example, uh, Mati Chon, who have a big uh, print empire right. you know media empire they also have a publishing a book publishing strand mm -hmm. and then nanmi is quite a big publisher too you know so okay. so they do a lot of books in translation and then they're much smaller people like me i would say i'm a small publisher you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um, quite high profile because some of the books i do are very nice <laughs> quality yes how supportive <coughs> is the government or do they give grants do they set fixed books prices? They are well, very supportive, are. strangely. I right. mean, you may, might not have thought they would be, but they are. So well, they the had Orwell a... The Orwell thing you just said, yes. like, they're suddenly saying, Orwell, read Animal Farm. Yes. So there aren't banned books? No, um, there are Orwell. some, but they mainly relate to books about the king, because there's very strict less majesty rules. So anyone who... Oh, right. You know, even if you write a self-published book about the king, in, a, in which they considered discriminatory, you could be in trouble. But, I mean, there are subsidies for books and there are uh, tax breaks for purchasers of books. So customers who buy more than 10,000 um, bahts worth, which is about £220 worth of books, over a period, if you keep your receipts, you can get a tax tax back. Oh, so, wow, which I think, which scheme. is a really... That's, that's a very good scheme. <laughs> it's a brilliant scheme. Really? Yeah, so I would say that they are very supportive. And obviously they, they uh, increased their budget for books for the Ministry of Education. Mm -hmm. So this is, in fact, this is the Minister of Culture is actually quite supportive. Your views on how technology and social media have changed <coughs> your writing and publishing life and are you an e-book reader? Well, you mentioned yes. piracy, which perhaps isn't always, that's the dark side. But it the is the dark side, side the dark the side. The side yeah. So the dark side, yes, is piracy and... Um, not in terms of photocopying the books, mm -hmm. but something like, I remember when Aung San Suu Kyi did her book Freedom from Fear and I had bought the rights from Penguin and someone just went ahead and translated and printed it and I had taken them to court, you know, and, yeah. and stopped that publication. But actually I would say that in terms of promoting the books, I find uh, the internet, you know, whether it's on Facebook 
whether it's on Instagram or Line, I find it's hugely helpful. Because actually Amazon isn't, I'm sure it'll come soon, but it isn't in Thailand. People can order oh, from Amazon. It isn't yet, so I'm sure. So, so I can do really well online. You know, so I promote the books online through Facebook and other people and all sorts of things. And then people, there's a very good uh, postal service where we can send the books by post and people pay using their mobile phones. Mm-hmm. A what lot. about e-books? How's the e-book and e-books, e-books. market? I mean, do you do e-books? So I do do, do e-books. e-books. Do you do, oh, that, do these I do e-books. illustrated? How does that... No, I don't think they work. No, that wouldn't work. And, 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 and publishers yeah. generally, I would say, across oh, yeah. the globe have found that there wasn't the take-up of highly illustrated e-books that they yeah. thought there was going Probably to be. Yeah. And am I an e-book reader? Yes, but sometimes do I want to read a print book? Absolutely. <laughs> because it's the cover, it's the whole feel of it. And I don't want to read on, on the screen all the time. But I'm going on holiday. Am I going to take four books on my Kindle? Yes. Is it great exactly when I'm... Traveling is yeah, travelling is brilliant. Yes. And I do actually read Kindle on my iPhone. Yes. I books I read as well at night in bed. Because also my husband goes to sleep earlier. So I read under the sheets, you know. <laughs> like I'm at school or something. <laughs> you don't want to wake him up, indeed. So, yes, yeah, so for River Books, the, our brave new digital world is good. You're particularly active on Facebook, so we can find you on Facebook. Yes, River Books yes, River Books, and we both have a yes, we have a we have a London site, River Books London, and we also have a Thai one. Yeah, Um, and the Thai one probably has more pictures, but probably the the posts are actually written in Thai. But then you can use Google if I'm depressed and I want a good laugh. I go to I'm no offence to Google, but I mean the the translations are very very comical and a lot of fun. So I would say if you're if you're depressed. Go to Google Translate. (laughs) (laughs) Nearly 80% of the UK's publishing industry wanted to remain in the EU. In the wake of Brexit, what are the implications for book publishing? Yes, a disaster. It's a disaster. It's ridiculous. I don't know where to start and end on Brexit. I mean, there's nothing good about it in any aspect at all. I mean, the palettes even. Our palettes are the wrong size. So, dear Mm -hmm. Boris, yes, they are. So the next day, according to Boris Johnson, it would be so, you know hassle-free, our palettes are the wrong size. They accept them now because we're in the EU. But if we're not in the EU, we'd have to conform. That's just one example. One example. example. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's the biggest mistake. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I blame a host of people. But, I mean, for me, it will have less impact. And some people say, why do you get so upset? It's not going to have that much impact on you. You can go to Thailand. But I don't think one always has to... Uh, feel passionately about things that directly impact no, oneself. Yeah, exactly. A communal. <laughs> yes, slightly. I, we are part of a whole yes, bigger. Yes, you know, I care it? about mm-hmm. everyone else who's going to be impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, 80% of my sales are in Southeast Asia, but that doesn't mean that I don't care passionately about the EU. Mm-hmm. So, if you could go anywhere in time for one day, where would you go and why? Yes, I've thought about this. Um, I think I would go to a UTR which is Bangkok's ancient capital, and it flourished for 400 years. And it was a time of great openness, you know, say the 17th century in Ayutthaya. One day I would go to the reign of King Narai. I would probably go to the day that uh, Louis XIV's delegations arriving Goodness. from Fontainebleau, and I think that would be fantastic. Because uh, by all accounts, Ayutthaya at that time was one of the greatest cities in the world. Really? It was a medieval city, a million people lived there. And it was the buildings were covered in gold, the temples were covered in gold, and there were traders from Portugal, France, Holland, 
Britain, Japan, Muslim traders. It was a total entrepot and it must have been fantastic. So I'd love and that. All, I mean, is that <coughs> what is left of it You now? can go and see it now. It's in ruins now. You, um, no gold left. No gold left because it was sacked by the Burmese in 1767 oh, and they okay. took all the gold away and a lot of craftsmen and mm. dancers and cultural artefacts mm. all went to Burma. Your views on handling success? Well, I don't think that's... Power I, and all um, that. Well, you I don't know if I... seen something of uh, how it I don't feel well. very successful. I mean, I feel... I'm happy that I've been able to do what I wanted to do, and that's a huge yeah. luxury, I think, and I'm very, very fortunate. But, you know, I think if you... If you've grown up in Cornwall in the countryside, your feet have been planted in the ground, really, quite early on, and I think you don't... You're not that attracted by it. And, you know, when my son was starting his career as a singer and he was signed to go and sing in America, I sort of prayed that he would be successful but not very successful because I think that your life is not your own then, is it? It's taken away from you. I think I would just say, you know, one day's fame is another day's fish and chips, isn't it, really? <laughs> That's a wonderful way of putting it. Now, for what faults do you have most tolerance? Enthusiasm. Because enthusiasm a fault? Yeah. Well, you know, excessive enthusiasm. Excessive enthusiasm. Yes, I like people who are really keen. I think it's, you know, people can say no about so many things, you know. Life it can be hard, and I think you have to keep being enthusiastic, and I, I, I like that in people. And people I've hired, you know, when they've come for a job interview, maybe some people say they were too over the top or too... Whatever, but I thought, yes, they're really keen. I would, I'd take that person. They may talk too much or be a pain later, but that's what you want because doing books, for example, is so hard mm -hmm. and it take, it's so much goes into doing a book that people perhaps don't realise mm -hmm. um, that you need to keep your enthusiasm levels really high. Your heroes and heroines in literature... Well, Anna Karenina, who's not really a heroine, but I... Well, she is. I, I, yes, I identify with her for no reason. I, I hope I'm not going to end under a train. You know, it's unlikely. I like Elizabeth Bennet, because I love that... I just love Pride and Prejudice. I love Jane Austen. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of her. I like Emma. So I know they're a bit boring, really. <laughs> but I like them. Um, and what about in real life? In real life, well, I used to love Aung San Suu Kyi, but I'm very upset by her now. I met Jung Chang a few times, and I like her a lot. Oh, yes, and I loved, writer. I love her her book Wild Swans. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And as a person, she's so elegant and serene and fascinating. She came to Bangkok Edge actually. She was a speaker there, mm -hmm. and um, I thought she was great. I don't know. I'm. I don't sort of idolize people so much and I don't want people I wouldn't want people to idolize me you know I like to regard everyone as equals mm. I'm very keen on that and in Thailand that's quite difficult people like hierarchical structures but I don't like that your favorite literary journals I like the London Review yes London Review of Books I like that very much and I also like the New York Review of Books which they always give away free at book fairs. That's my treat for the day, you know, and I sit and read that. And your bedside reading? I just finished The Salt Path, which is very easy to read. Have you heard about that? It's yeah. a, about a, um, a couple who everything goes wrong for. They lose all their money, and he's been diagnosed with a terminal condition, 
and she said, so let's just go and walk the South Coast path. And so I liked it. I almost finished it. I like it very much because, A, it's saying foof to adversity and then being ready to change completely. And also I love the, the South Coast uh, the southwest coast path so you know that's got everything for me mm. and i'm also reading a book which i've just started called and i'm not going to be able to remember the name of the author called memories about a journey from st petersburg to odessa in 1919 so which i like and it's a, a by a, um, the writer who was quite famous at the time and then she um realised she wouldn't be able to publish anymore because of censorship after the revolution and the civil war and everything. So she makes this journey, but sadly I can't remember her name at this point. Now your five favourite feature films? I love uh, Kozlovsky's The Three Colours. So I loved The Three Colours Blue, and I particularly liked it when she swims in the swimming pool, the heroine. Um, what's she called? It's wonderful. It's really, really good. I also like um, Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> even though I don't particularly like Keira Knightley, and I could criticise it on many levels. And I also like The Conformist, Bernardo Bertolucci, and The Leopard, which I love that one too, because Alain Delon is so handsome in it. And also, um, you know, Claudia Cardinale is fantastic. Mm. Uh, more recently, I like The Big Lebowski, how many have we done now? Four, I think. Yes. Yes. And um, Thai film. There's a Thai film I like very much called Kung Lang Pap, Behind the Picture. And actually that's a, a novel by C. Bura Pa, which has been translated into English. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful film. And it's very sort of, I don't know, it was, I saw it in, yes, I saw it in a particular place. It's about a woman who's married to a diplomat and they go to Japan and she falls in love with a, a younger Thai man. And he, he's in love with her for a while, they have an affair, and then it, it all goes wrong. Mm. I'm, I'm rather drawn to things that all go wrong, really. <laughs> <laughs> now, who would be in your dream book club? Mm. Well, I think my father would be one of them, because, you know, he died when I was seven, so I never got to talk to him properly. So I would be very interested to see what he thought about books now and hear all his opinions, you know. Mm. Otherwise, I think... Margaret Drabble, I used to like her very much, and I think she would be interesting. And uh, Greta Thunberg, because obviously I'm obsessed with global warming and climate change, and so I think it'd be very nice to talk to a young person. And then the Dalai Lama, because I think that, you know, his wisdom and um, I know he said some rather dodgy things about immigrants recently what well, you know not PC things about immigration I just think it'd be That's fantastic exactly yes beautiful. yes and because I haven't talked to him enough and he's an up-and-coming well you know, he hasn't up-and-coming he's a come Thai author you know who's and I think he would be very interesting too and I know that he reads literature across a very wide spectrum uh, and do you have a motto <coughs> Give it a go. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so on my tombstone, I'd like you to say, she went for it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Narisa Chakra Bones. Uh, it was a great pleasure talking with you. And uh, the River, so it's River Books Press Limited. Press. Yes. And then the, the URL of the website? 
We do, yes. River Books, BK, I think. Yeah, okay. Dot com, yeah. But thank you very much for coming to talk. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's great to see you. Thank you.